the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. What's on your financial mind? Anything you want to chat about, we can chat about. Don't be shy. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. And again, anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. We can do some top stories action. We can talk about what's working on Wall Street and what's not working on Wall Street. We can talk about market highs, iconic devices. We can talk about crazy things like the popularity of uh, the app called Seamless and the popularity of medical marijuana. There's now a company that will bring weed to your door for you if you have a medical marijuana card. (laughs) And it's called Ease. Um, so it delivers your medicine right to your house. Couriers, the delivery services provide non-medical kind of marijuana to take on the risk of being busted for dealing drugs. Yep, 21st century kind of keeps rolling on, right? Stocks sink towards a month of losses on global worries. July is closing its books, and as it closes its books, we go... Boy, there was a pretty tough little run here on uh, Israel. If you're not paying attention, a lot of people are dying in Israel and Gaza. Um, And it's got the world looking at it. There's a lot of oil right around there. There's been inconsistent peace for many, many, many years. And uh, let's just, again, say long story short, uh, President Putin... And Russia doesn't seem to be backing down, even though his country is being hit with sanctions. And, you know, there's a real cost of doing business that's hurting billionaires there. Still is able to push through as much as he wants to at this point in time. Things to consider, things to think about in the world of investing. Again, very tough month. Not so tough that I want you to panic, but, you know, hey, 
we've had a good five and a half, almost six year run. Um, there's going to be some give and some take. So a month of losses on global worries. Not a month of losses on earnings. A month of losses on global worries. S&P 500 is down 18 today. The Dow is down 142. The Nasdaq down 48. Cash is king. You've seen some money go into... Um, you've seen some money being basically raised as some people are reading the uh, cash register, so to speak, and selling some of their winners. Uh, we never know when a correction is going to come, what it's going to look like. Is this the start of one and or not? No one knows. Wish we did, but no one knows. But as a bull market ages, uh, it creates a little bit more volatility and some potential downside of the many disconnects between investing strategies suggested, you know, there's always going to be, you know, bulls versus bears. There's always going to be market correction, no market correction. But citing the age of the bull market and desire to have some cash, um, I think it's it's wise to take a look at if there's anything that you don't want in your portfolio right now. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Some business stories of note today. Adidas shares crash after stunning warning about Russia. Okay, now here's how stocks are tied towards Russia, right? Everything seemed to be going Adidas's way until the Western world clashed with Russia. The recent trend change in the Russian ruble, as well as increasing risk to consumer sentiment and the consumer spending from current tensions in the region, point to higher risk for the short-term profitability from Russia and that central area. So... Shares of a $12 billion global shoe brand plunged 14% yes, today uh, in European trading. Um, so sanctions are hitting pretty hard. Adidas actually just wrapped up a strong second quarter. It surely benefited from having sponsored both World Cup final teams, Germany and Argentina. The company said sales jumped 10%. But again, what's going on in Russia, Adidas is pushing forward with growth efforts, but they've got exposure. So, you know, there's a, a real case scenario um, where it's becoming very very much so a problem. And all of Europe has a problem here. So 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220. A stock that was a momentum stock, a stock that was a story stock, has kind of broken down. Today we discussed that stock. It's called 3D Systems. And uh, it was never meant to be a long-term hold because we knew that the smaller players can get in on uh, 3D printers, but eventually the bigger players will take over. So 3D systems down 9% today. Classic example. Classic example of you've got to be careful. Uh, it's had a roller coaster of 52 weeks. At one point in time, it went from $35 a share all the way to $95 a share in the last 52 weeks. I put it in a newsletter a couple of years ago at roughly, I want to say 19. That's not a quote. It was October of 2012, so it was about 22, 23. And I said it's going to, be a, it's going to explode because 3D printing was the future, and it exploded. Um, I don't own any shares of it, but it is cratering today. Again, coming up short of expectations. They did have earnings. 
Inventory climbed to 90 million versus 86 million. Gross margins came in at 47% versus expectation of 51%. Spending on new product launches helped uh, profits be retarded and not grow, underlying some trends. There's some transitional forces that are temporary, quote unquote. It's been a shaky year for 3D systems and for their chief competitor, Stratasys. Uh, 3D printing has a bit of a height problem. And again, it's got the bigger boys coming in sooner rather than later, uh, worthy of note. So cash is king is one of the stories that we'll continue to throw around. Um, having, a ca- having cash, not all cash, having cash, whatever amount that you find comfortable, is important for Wall Street. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. ExxonMobil's in the news today. Their quarterly profit jumps by 28%, but um, production sags. Exxon has struggled in recent quarters to replenish its reserves quickly, investing in massive new projects in Russia. Uh-oh, there's another one, right? In Papua New Guinea. Many of its smaller, more nimble peers have aggressively developed shale formations around North America, fueling massive production and exciting Wall Street. Luke Oil, Russia's second large oil producer, said that sanctions would force it to slash capital spending due to limited access to funds. Exxon is, of course, partnering with Luke Oil to develop a large oil field off the eastern Russian coast. And analysts say Luke Oil's announcement could be a harbinger of funding challenges for the entire industry in Russia. Russia's a play on oil. Saudi's got to love this. So production fell 6%. That's a bad number. Just throwing it out there for you. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Drop me an email, 800, or drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. Find me online at robblack.com. Samsung earns $6.1 billion. Good thing or bad thing? They basically dominate the phone world. And you, when you hear how much they make versus how much Apple makes, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Not so great. Sales dropped 9%. Big problem for them. Their shares are getting hit pretty hard today. Samsung earned $6 billion, but people were still dissatisfied sending the shares down 4%. Last quarter, Samsung sold 18 million fewer handsets than 113 million in the first three months of the year. Smartphones and other handsets have previously contributed about 70% of Samsung's profit. This quarter, it fell to about 60%. Taking a look at some of the market numbers out there, we do have a lower day. 
We've got, uh, and for the record, July's ending today, a down month. Um, S&P 500 is down 15 cents at 1954. The Dow is down 127 cents at 16,752. And the NASDAQ is down 44 cents at 4418. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. Chad, one of the biggest, most successful investors of all time, Warren Buffett. And a lot of people like to quote Warren Buffett, you know, kind of like be like Michael Jordan, be like Warren Buffett in investing is the whole idea. Do you have any favorite phrases by Warren Buffett? Favorite phrases by Warren Buffett. I'm not a guy that really kind of holds on to the the phrase idea, but, you know, he has a lot of phrases that make you want to buy things when everybody else doesn't want to buy them. For instance, right. pain today, gain tomorrow right. is something right. that's attributed to him. Never. Now, was he buy when there's blood on the streets? Is that? I don't see, know. I'm awful with quotes. Yeah, yeah. I can remember tax code, but I can't remember quotes. I mean, look, the thing about Warren Buffett is he's the kind of guy that likes to invest in what he can understand. Which is another phrase that he has, never invest in a business you can't understand. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I know it's in there somewhere. So he wants it simple like McDonald's because you, know, you eat at McDonald's. He wants it simple like Nike because you wear Nikes or in his case, you know, Coca-Cola because you drink Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't want you going out and buying the next great, you know, Oracle. Oracle is a pretty complex business investment, you know, tied towards databases and business software that the average person won't be able to wrap their head around it other than to say, I know they're doing something very high, highly skilled. Yeah, and when he typically gets into plays like that, um, you know, a lot of his deals that he does, remember, are these convertible bond deals, where it's really the issue of loaning money at a high interest rate with the ability to turn around and buy the stock if the stock rallies. So he gets funded on the interest rate side, and then he has that total upside potential if he's able to go and invest in a company that turns around. So what he's doing is he's loaning money to companies that need it, but they have a turnaround plan, and the turnaround plan makes sense to him. Which is funny, because he does have a phrase out there called, turn around, seldomly turn. And he's telling the average investor, don't count on the common stock being saved quickly. Don't expect the big companies made a huge mistake to be able to uh, resuscitate themselves. Like an Eastman Kodak. Mm-hmm. That's been a turnaround story for 10 plus years before going into bankruptcy. It, it never turned. It never it never got the, the corner that they needed to get. I think this is the second time they've been in bankruptcy since you and I have been doing radio together. And another, you know, a good example of a company that just can't turn around, um, Hewlett-Packard. They're having problems turning it around. Will they? Probably. Probably. But when? We don't know. So stay away from those kind of investments. How about this one? Be fearful when others are greedy. Be greedy when others are fearful. That's one of the best ones because if you look at – there's a uh, Callan Periodic Table of Investments, and you can Google it. Callan Periodic Table of Investments. I Callan. C-A-L-L-A-N. Okay. And uh, there might be an H in there, so don't – Quote me on that one, but I believe it's I believe it's not. But you go to that site and you can see that every single asset class rotates, especially on the small and mid cap and emerging market side, which has been the best returns really over the last two decades, and where two thirds of the growth is going to be coming from, which would be emerging markets over the next couple of decades. They're very volatile, and what happens? Is they'll spend three years at the top of the heap, the best asset class ever, and then they'll spend two to three years at the bottom, the worst asset class to be in, and so people typically look at their 401ks and they're always buying the, the best one and three-year average returns. You want to look at it and say, what's the 10-year average return and has it, has it done bad the last couple of years? You typically want to buy the ones that have a really, really good 10-year average return, but they haven't done so well the last two years because that's, that's when the timing's right. When it's scary to buy it, that's when you get the highest returns. And another phrase which that leads straight into is, unless you can watch your stock decline by 50% without becoming panic-stricken, you should not be in the stock market. Well, you've got to define every investment. Is this investment a trade yep. where you're only willing to accept maybe a 7 to 10% loss? 
Or is this a long-term investment? And if you're buying the stock, it's got a, a dividend that's being increased. Its earnings are growing. Its revenue is growing. It's doing everything right. It's continuing a dividend increase, but it might sell off 15% because of other market issues, systemic risk issues from debt, whatever it may be. You're, you're willing to let your long-term investments fluctuate more in price because you're getting a dividend all the time that's always going up versus a trade that you're making that's that you're only going to get rewarded on the share price. And final topic for Warren Buffett, Chad Burton, CFP. An investor should act as though he has a lifetime decision card with just 20 punches on it. Do you kind of agree with that, that you know we only invest from age 20 to 60, and you probably should treat your investment decisions as you only make 20 of them, so make them correct? Yeah, I mean, 20 investment decisions would be hard to keep it to. That's that's you know, yeah, it's, it's a little limiting, it, isn't it? Yeah, it's... It's a little scary, but people will make the same mistakes two to three times before they figure out their their actual mistake, before they stop doing it. He's probably just saying, be, be honest with yourself and think before you jump. You know, look look before you leap. Yeah, you know, and the younger people, they just their their biggest asset is their ability to earn money. So you need to protect that and grow that with education. I mean, you've got to get highly educated in this type of an economy that we're in, where the f- unemployment rate's four percent for highly educated people. You can find Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com, newfocusfinancial.com. He is a certified financial planner. You can also find his personal website, chadburton.com, chadburton.com. Number on Black talking all things financial. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I have a big event coming up in San Rafael, California. Don't get to Marin all that often. Financial freedom and retirement planning seminars, two of them. <clears throat> financial freedom is, I go over step-by-step-by-step um, issues that you're going to need in order to um, in order to get to where you need to. So I go over 20 steps. It's really for the beginner, someone who's in their 20s, 30s, early 40s. Uh, it's an afternoon session, a morning session. It's a little bit more wealth preservation, retirement planning. That's run by CFP Chad Burton. How to reduce risk with diversification, tax reduction strategies, bond alternatives, how to set up a portfolio that yields uh, what you need it to yield in income in retirement. New survey on spending came out today, and what's interesting about this is millennials are given into temptation and showing out hundreds of dollars a year on booze, coffee, and fast food. So coffee, millennials spend more than $300 a year on average. Top 10 states that are almost entirely on the East Coast as far as coffee goes. The South is the least caffeinated. Um, young adults in Mississippi spend the last or the least amount, just $50 a year. Um, so coffee, alcohol, and fast food. Things that don't give you great long-term returns. It's interesting to look at because $300 a year on average. I know people who spend easily, easily $50 a week, uh, $200 a month on coffee. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com.
quick headline for you. Synchrony Financial, a credit card division from GE that for many years operated in their finance arm, credit cards. You see the Capital One commercials, you can go out and buy Capital One stock. Um, do you think those are companies that are geared to lose money or mathematically kind of know how much money they're going to lose when they uh, let as many people open up credit cards as they do? I think credit cards are always an intriguing play on the stock market over the long term. But to talk about something else here, Joe Doe, economics analyst for thestreet.com, talking a little GDP. The GDP number yesterday was pretty darn impressive, Joe. Was it real? Or was it up <laughs> demand? Is it sustainable? 4% GDP, it seems like life would be pretty good. Uh, yeah, I, I think um, if, if you look at it from the business perspective, everybody was kind of expecting a, a big number. I don't think they were expecting 4%. That was much better than expected. If you look at it from the uh, the chitter-chatter perspective of politics, um, you know, this is basically giving uh, the more optimistic people the, the chance to say, we told you so, uh, from the first quarter. Uh, but for investors who, you know, kind of look past that, they, they, can, they can glean off this, that it was a very good... Good GDP report. It showed that obviously the really bad winter uh, did keep people home. You know, it kept them uh, from going out and shopping. It kept them from going out and purchasing new homes, um, and that all came back. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, if, if if you're looking to to make a big purchase, uh, you're not just going to say, "Well, it was too cold this winter, and I'm never going to do it again," right? So we started seeing people come back in the second quarter and make those purchases. Uh, which you know lent to a much better than expected uh, hit on on uh, growth. Um, so, uh, but you know, and this is not something that people should just think is is you know the way it is now, right? We're not going to see four percent growth probably in the third quarter. We're probably not going to see fourth quarter growth that's four percent. But this did help us. Uh, peak our heads over that two percent level for annual growth uh, projections in 2014. Seems like a, a Goldilocks world, Joe, where two percent is on the cold side, three percent's perfect, four percent's too hot. <laughs> Would yeah. you kind of agree with that statement? Yeah, I, I, I think, unfortunately, that is that's probably a, a fair way of looking at it. I, I you know, uh, economists immediately came out and said, "Hey, whoa, yeah, this is pretty good." I mean, there was a talk of a build in inventories, which which obviously was the talk uh, at the end of last year when we had a huge GDP print. Um, you know, and, and, and that is a concern. You, you, you don't want to see these GDP numbers that are like super huge, uh, that are also underscored by, you know, things like inventories, right? Which, you know, they come on in one quarter and then if they don't get sold off, uh, then that, you know, obviously that, that doesn't help uh, economic growth, and, and therefore it comes back on to the next quarter, and you say, oh, my gosh, well, why do we have only 2% growth or 1.5% growth? Um, uh, so, yeah, and, and it, it's hard for you know the average consumer to sit there and, and, and totally understand GDP, right? I mean, we've all learned it, right? I think you know, the first time you learn about gross domestic product, you're in, you're in grade school. Uh, you know, it's kind of your first introduction to the economy, but uh, you know, it's, it's still something that most people aren't worrying about day-to-day -day in their lives. They're just being told, listen, the economy is growing at um, a certain rate, and um, you know, we take a step back and, and say, okay, GDP number was good, but really what people looked at was uh, the, the, the Fed statement that came out shortly afterwards. And that's because GDP is just a lagging indicator. It doesn't tell investors what's going to happen in the future. It just reminds them, okay, well, here's how good it actually was, or here's how bad it actually was in the previous quarter. With that said, 
you brought up something that most people don't know what GDP is. It's kind of a vague number. Uh, what is GDP to you in a brief analysis? Yeah, I mean, it's all, you know, it's 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 all uh, you know, goods and services and consumption, uh, you know, traded here in uh, the United States that uh, somehow contributed to economic growth um, or, or, of course, uh, took away from economic growth, uh, specifically here in the U.S. Okay. What are we uh, looking for right now from the Fed statement? You, you, you brought it up, and it you know the markets kind of turn on the Fed statement. GDP mm-hmm. and the Fed kind of go hand in hand because, yeah, uh, for obvious reasons, if there's an improvement in the economy, it would be reflected in GDP. And if there's an improvement in the economy, then the Fed is going to stop buying bonds and we're going to stop uh, supporting the markets with uh, low cost money. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is if anybody read any stories about the Fed yesterday or maybe they read their basic market story, they did read one interesting aspect of the statement, which was that the Fed is no longer saying that the unemployment rate remains elevated. And they've been saying this in statements for a long time now. And what that meant was that obviously the unemployment rate was uh, very abnormally high, right, for a recovery. Um, Now what they're saying is that uh, you know, that, that they think that the labor market, uh, there's underutilization in the labor market. In other words, there's slack in the labor market. They don't feel like they can any longer say that the unemployment rate remains elevated because you're looking at a 6.1% unemployment rate that could, I'm not saying it will, that could dip below 6% in, by tomorrow uh, in the latest uh, jobs report. We don't know that it necessarily will, but it could. And when you're looking at 5.9%, people are saying, well, that's not a very, you know, that's not an elevator, right? They, they wouldn't say that's a terrible unemployment number. I mean, it's not great. It's not what we want, but it's not terrible. And so the feds had to go back and basically say, okay, listen, we know that you know, we've had unemployment rates drop um, in a way that we didn't expect, which was you've slowly seen the labor force participation rate fall for a number of reasons, whether they're um, structural or, or, or what have you. In other words, you know, people are just uh, baby boomers are falling out of the workforce or, uh, you know, you do have people still searching for jobs in a very difficult economy. Um, but that, that's, that's really the interesting part, right? And so now the big debate and what I'm writing about is, you know, is the Fed focusing too much on jobs and are they not keeping enough of an eye on interest rates and inflation? And, um, you know, right now we do see inflation ticking up, not a lot. Uh, the, core, the core rate is just below 2%, but there is worry, obviously, that, you know, if you get another couple of CPI reports that shows core inflation rising, um, past that 2% level, which is a key indicator for the Fed to try to you know, quell inflation from happening too quickly, they wonder if the Fed's going to get caught behind, right? Because once infla- you know, the argument is once inflation starts ticking up, it really starts going. And then, you know, it, it, you know, and then at that point, it's too late to react to it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the interesting discussion right now. I think there's also some underlying discussion. I'm speaking with Joe Doe economics analyst for thestreet.com, talking GDP numbers, there seems to be some undercurrents. Like the jobs report, even though it's good, the type of jobs that we want aren't there. They're very mm-hmm. part-time. They're very, uh, you know, McDonald's-oriented per se, and also, you know, tied towards um, some of the GDP numbers. The, the people are looking for the, some of the softness uh, inside the data that looks pretty good on the outside, but inside the data, not so good. Can you mention a little bit about that? Right. right. You know, I mean, you're, you're – 
it's discussing part-time work versus full-time work, how many people are still looking for work but not actually, you know, finding the jobs that they want. Uh, you know, some of the data that I that I was looking at is, uh, you know, right now we're we're looking at uh, part-time work uh, in June, you know, full-time jobs in June fell by about 530,000 compared to the previous month. Total jobs, you know, increased just because part-time jobs grew by about 800,000. I mean, this is something I was, re you know, just reading this morning as I prep for tomorrow's numbers. So that that's a little bit of the softness that, that you hear from the critics, right, is that, and, 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 you know, the critics and also even Janet Yellen will say and, and has made it of a, 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 she's made a pointed effort to say this is, we're not, we're not happy with where growth in the jobs market is. Her argument right now is there is no worry about inflation because we don't see enough job growth uh, in that it's pushing up wages, right? So wages really kind of this base point at which we understand, you know, the inflation can be coming, right? Because once you and I have more money in our pockets, uh, it suggests we'd have more money for disposable income in which we would spend on goods and services, you know, retail or, or what, what have you that aren't needs, but they're wants. And then that increases so-called money velocity, increase the spending that's going out to the economy. We're just not seeing that right now. And yet, anecdotally, I feel as if inflation's hitting me pretty hard. I feel like, you know, taking flights feels more expensive, going to resorts feels more expensive, yeah. cars cost more money. Is there some phantom inflation in the economy, or am I just being, is that just my world? No, you're right. I mean, that's that's talking about, you know, inflation, uh, the core inflation. The core inflation excludes food and uh, and gasoline, right? Um, and, and so that, that's a common uh, discussion among economists is well, do we, do, you know, do, do we as Americans uh, buy the fact that core inflation isn't going above two percent, but we see month to month, you know, these changes in food and, and gasoline? I, I think the food and gas is a, is a fair argument. I mean, there's a great reason why we don't, uh, you know, why the Fed isn't targeting it. I mean, food and gas prices are incredibly volatile. So one month maybe you're paying a little bit of the gas pump that you weren't paying before, uh, and then the next month. Um, you know, you're paying a little bit less, so it's it's really hard to get a grasp on that. But it's certainly a fair argument for people, right? If if they're not seeing their wages grow, which they aren't, you know, compared to other recoveries. I mean, right now we're seeing about two percent wage growth in a good recovery, in a robust recovery. You're seeing people getting way, you know, year over year annual wage growth of about three to three and a half percent. You know, they're not seeing bonuses, so they're not getting. They're, not, they're basically not being paid much more than they were, you know, four or five years ago at the, you know, the bottom of of the market and the, the beginning of the crisis or the beginning of the Great okay. Recession. Thanks very much. That's Joe Doe, economics analyst for TheStreet.com. You can find him on Twitter. His handle is Joe Doe, D-E-A-U-X. You can find him at TheStreet.com as well. He's a regular guest, and he's very insightful and very easy to digest. We'll take a break here. Be right back.
so a friend of mine just got a Google Chromecast. And a lot like the Roku player and Apple TV, it's got some functions that are pretty impressive. Streaming TV, this is tied, in my opinion, to a story on streaming TV. The wireless industry is in an aggressive marketing category and has spent $1.77 billion on national TV advertising through the first half of the year. So the companies like AT&T and Verizon spent similar amounts on TV spots through the end of June. The wireless brand that AT&T has spent the most on TV commercials so far this year, um, $480 million. That's pretty crazy, right? AT&T's wood chipper spot is the brand new, uh, is the brand's most newest, is that, or is the newest of AT&T's digitally effective ads. Um, AT&T highlights the Samsung S5 active phone, which the ad claims can stand up to almost anything except a wood chipper. Um, so there's a lot of spending that's going on there. And a friend of mine, like I said, got Chromecast. And, you know, I'm thinking wireless phones, but wireless TVs, right? And they kind of go hand in hand at this point in time. A lot of people will take pictures and then put the pictures up on the TV. So there's a product out there, or a product, I don't know, um, popcorn Time. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. I was speaking with my radio producer yesterday, and we are talking about the media companies like ABC, CBS, Fox, and how they kind of were fighting the Apple world. Apple came out and changed the music world years ago with iTunes. And it took a while for them to negotiate with the... Um, Executives and you know the executives had saw the industry just you know get crushed by Napster and change dramatically on digital distribution. Well, there's an app for Chromecast and it's now out for Apple as well, the Apple TV product. I don't think it's out for Amazon's Box or Roku yet, but I'm sure you can probably hack the Roku and put it on. Um, it's called Popcorn Time and it's made a pretty big fuss recently. It's beautifully designed piracy. It makes it easy and untraceable for you to basically steal movies and TV shows. The fact that I say it's beautifully designed is it doesn't take a hacker to figure this out. It doesn't take your kid to show you how to use it. It looks like a Netflix interface. Um, and it's pretty easy to use, and it's, it's going to be a problem for the, the, the media industry. And you're going to see dramatic changes in the next few years in the media industry, or the media industry is going to lose a lot more money. So I bring it up as a guy who might have an investment in, you know, Time Warner. I bring it up as somebody who might have an investment in CBS, um, Fox. Um, I, I don't think it could be ignored. So now, basically, you set the client up on your computer, and then you stream it to your Chromecast, or you stream it to your Apple TV, Popcorn Time Update. I think it came out yesterday or today. It allows users to stream to Apple TV via AirPlay. But Oh, that's right. It's only available right now to Windows users. But an Apple and Linux, Linux version are coming soon, as well as with an iOS app. So for Mac and Linux users who don't want to wait to start streaming BitTorrent movies to their TV, there's another alternative that recently was released, which comes in the form of an app called Torrent TV. Um, it is just a war out there as far as, you know, media companies trying to protect their, uh, how shall I say this, their heinies. 
uh, their tukashish, and how fast that the, the world can exploit it. And again, when it was when Napster came out, the beauty of it was was that it was an interface that was easy. Now the TV and movies have got the same kind of easy interface, and you're not going to a website like Pirates Bay and downloading it. It's I think it's gonna be a big problem. Um, just throwing it out there for you. As far as you have to think of this kind of stuff, um, in my opinion, you have to think about this kind of stuff big time when it comes to your investments. What can take them down? Average selling price on a phone is coming down. That does not bode well for that does not bode well for uh, you know Apple. Now again, they have to build up their ecosystem, um, and they will. So I recently started seeing some ads on Apple TV, which is interesting. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. Try to put a little bit of a bow on the markets today and saying, here's what we got. We got global equities pressured by disappointing earnings. We got the S&P 500 entering the final session of the month with a slim gain of half of 1%. Taking a look at it, though, at this point in time, you know, the S&P 500 is down 1%. So it's going to pull off. It's going to probably pull off a small gain, but not much of one. It's too early to tell. Uh, the Dow's down 173. The Nasdaq down 66. Um, I think that's, you know, the basic gist of today. Uh, there's no real strength. There's weakness in energy, healthcare, industrials, technology, and telecom services. ExxonMobil is one of the reasons there's weakness in energy today. They... Uh, had you know, several weeks of quarterly reports. The energy giants had you know, uh, said a lot about their second quarter earnings. Despite the oil boom and natural gas production, Exxon said its oil equivalent production in the second quarter was down 5.7%. And that's not good. It's spending less money. Second quarter capital expiration expenditures of $9.8 billion were down 4%. MasterCard's in the news today. World's second largest debit and credit card company posted a better than expected 10% rise in quarterly profit as more customers use its cards to make purchases. The company's income rose to $931 million. Uh, I like both MasterCard Visa. Also, I like Capital One. Uh, for the long-term patient investor, I don't see much of a problem. Uh, news out of a survey on what millennials are spending a lot of money on, and that they probably shouldn't be spending as much as they do. Booze, coffee, and fast food. Things that don't have a good rate of return over the long term. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Popcorn Time was the app that I was talking about. You can, a, you can figure out where it is. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. We'll take a break here. Be right back. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 
1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in. Rob Black. Talking money investing, talking retirement, talking insurance, whatever. It could be Masters of the Universe, and that being a product that's on Toontime. Or it could be a different angle, like Apple, and will their phone come out in September or October? It could be GDP. But today, I'm going to be talking with CFP. And how is retirement different when you have a business to sell, Mr. Burton? Well, what's, you know, for a lot of business owners, the majority of their assets can be tied up in their business. And that's different for most Americans where the majority of their assets are tied up in their 401k. I mean, some people say they're home, but as we try to tell people, you know, it's not an asset until you're going to liquidate it and sell it. It's the same thing with the business. You can't just push a button and sell a small business like you can a stock. So the transition period has to start well in advance. It has to be a real integral part of your retirement plan. And a lot of business owners tend to ignore the stock market because they say, well, my small business is growing at 25% a year. So I invest in stocks so I could invest my money in my own business. Sure. Um, so, makes, well, makes sense on paper. It, it makes sense on paper until something goes wrong, you know, and, and all of a sudden you've invested everything you have into your business and you get to that point of retirement and, the industry that you're in changes, the technology you're in changes, um, all sorts of things can happen. So you, you really need to still diversify. And if you try to sell your business the wrong way, your small business, it can really put everything in danger. It's, um, you know, if your competitors find out in the wrong way, your customers can lose confidence. And, and so you got to really be careful and really transition slowly into, into that business sale. Okay. How can you protect your business ultimately? Because I think you and I have both seen people who have small businesses. Um, they grow it, and then you know the predators come in and like, well, he's getting old. It's like my dentist. His father had a kind of a decrepit old business with decrepit old teeth clients, um, and he kind of wanted you know to move to a younger part of the city, but he, he also wanted to reward his dad and pay him off and you know, get a fair price, not a fair price. It's it's kind of complicated, you know, especially when it comes time to sell your business. How do you protect yeah, it? It is, because I mean, you're trying to sell it, and you have other employees, and, you know, can those other employees just leave and take a certain amount of the clientele and do something different? Um, you kind of start with a disaster plan. Every business owner needs a transition and a disaster plan. And part of getting ready to sell your business is saying, okay, every person in every position should be able to be replaceable and there should be a procedure manual for every single position in your business. There's a book that I've talked about before called The E-Myth that some of the reading is a bit cheesy until some of the stories are a bit made up, but it, it creates a really good point that every single business, a successful business is a business that can run without you. So if you create a business that can do well with or without you plugged in, then that's something that's successful. A lot of people get a little bit too egocentric around their business that says, oh, this thing can't last without me. Well, and that's not really the right way to create a franchise, right? A franchise right. has every single position can be replaced with a manual. Um, so you've got to create a sellable business. And, uh, and then the, in terms of a disaster plan, you, know, you, you need to learn as a business owner how to delegate. And that's one of the hardest things I had to learn is how to delegate so that you can 
free up some time to move forward to grow the business, but also so that if something happens to you, the business can continue to run, support your family, and support the families of the people that work there. So procedure manual for every position, key man insurance for life insurance and disability insurance, and then there's also a type of insurance that people neglect often, which is overhead insurance, which is if, if you're disabled for a short period of time, um, you know, how, and you are the rainmaker, you are the number one guy, and you haven't done any transition planning, it keeps the lights on, it keeps the payroll going. So you really need a disaster plan. That's kind of the start to a tra- tra- uh, transition plan for your business. At what age should this start becoming important if, again, you start at your own business, whether it's a restaurant, a financial planning firm, whether it's a company that sells widgets? At what age people start thinking about getting out? When you create it. So um, any kind of a good partnership or any kind of a good operating agreement, if it's an LLC, um, it should have an exit strategy in it. But in terms of age, I mean, if you're 55 or older, you should be spending four hours per week on planning a transition. Um, and, and what does that mean? Maybe it's training a twin to do your job. You have to look at your positions and say, okay, what am I doing every day that somebody else could be doing that I could train a twin so that, again, if I – there's two ways to sell a business. You could sell it within the company to people that want to buy it from you. You can sell it to larger companies or to competitors. Uh, you need to spend some time planning that because, again, if, you, if you're going to sell to a competitor, you can't just put the word out and then lose all your customers because they're afraid you're not going to be around. It's kind of like buying a Groupon from restaurants that are always on Groupon. You're like, is this okay. Groupon going to be good? Am I going to get a refund? Is this restaurant going to be around? Um, so if you have a partner, you have to also need a very clear exit strategy because I've seen people get to the end and, and one partner wants to really maximize the business for selling it and the other one's like, no, I'm just done. I'm just out. And then you have, if you've got two key people and they're not on the same page, you could really lose a lot of value. Um, so and if business owners are also retiring young, let's say the age of 55 or 60 before Medicare kicks in, What's your overall plan for insurance, health insurance, and things like that? So over 55, you really need to spend four hours per week planning a transition. Anything else that we need to know, CFP, Chad Burton? Um, no, again, I think the point that really made sense to me in terms of, of that overall idea on creating a business, a lot of companies get stuck on how much revenue they create without looking at different different pieces of the business. Like, here's a ton of revenue in this part of my business, but it's showing a loss because there's so much expenses tied to that revenue. They, they don't get the difference between top line and bottom line. So fixing those issues and then fixing that ego piece of your, uh, you know, idea of this business can't work without me and being, you know, I'm so key to my business, it, it's, it's not, again, a successful business is one that if you weren't there, you've created a business that runs so well and so smoothly that it can continue on without you making money. Okay. Very good. It's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. We were talking in that segment about, you know, the value proposition of when are you able to sell a small business? Again, when you create a small business, and I know people who've done this, they pour their 20s into it. And sometimes they tap into their 401k or they tap in their savings to support that business. Um, sometimes a couple divorces later, they don't have as much equity in the company that had to take money, loans out to pay off wives. They find themselves in situations of, how am I going to get out of this? 
do you want a succession plan where you bring your kids in and they help with the business, or do you just want to sell it right off into the sunset? If you are a small business owner, um, it is a good time to give CFP Chad Burton a call. He does financial planning for clients with liquid assets over 300000 plus, uh, sometimes 500000 depending on where you are. You can find out more and get a free portfolio review at his website, newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. We'll take a break here. We'll come back, talk a little real estate. We'll take a break there, come back and talk a little GDP, market stories of the day, and much, much more. Yesterday, the Fed was kind of unswayed by the growth in the GDP. They kept easing in place. Market reaction was modestly positive. Today, U.S. job cuts soared thanks to tech layoffs. It'll be an interesting employment report tomorrow, Friday, the first Friday of the month. Employers plan to cut nearly 50,000 positions in July. Um, basically, a lot more job cuts from month to month. And that's primarily thank you, Hewlett-Packard and Microsoft. Employers have announced 292,000 job cuts up to this point this year. Snapchat's talking valuation with Alibaba, potentially getting an investment from them. $10 billion is the valuation they're playing with. Facebook, or Snapchat, really popular with teenagers, turned down a $3 billion acquisition offer from Facebook last year. Snapchat's cute. Um, And it's not just for sending dirty texts to each other. Um, Let's say you're at a restaurant and you do want to send a picture of food to a friend, but you don't want it to live on your phone forever, and you don't want it to live on their phone forever. Um, Not a bad thing to do. Uh, You're going to see that continue to pick up. There's a new app out called Swiper that any conversations you've ever had, you can swipe from your phone, from the person who you had the conversation with, as well as from the servers that it was stored on. Americans borrowing less and uh, paying more out of pocket for college costs. Let's talk a little bit of real estate right now with Tony Mendez. Joining me now. Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. He's my lender. He's done a couple loans for me in the past few years. I bring that up because I trust him. I bring that up because I think you can trust him. He does a great job of packaging scenarios for you and showing you your options. Whether I definitely don't want a seven-year one arm, I want a 30-year, he'll show you the 30, the 15, and the 7-1 because that's his job, to show you your options. Um, one of the things that I was surprised about the 2013 government shutdown was some of the stories that came along that said getting a, a mortgage is going to be tougher because the IRS is shut down. Getting a mortgage is going to be tougher because um, we verify wages as well. Um, we being the mortgage industry. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little bit, I think people don't, they're not prepared with how much paperwork there is yeah. and how much different, how many different sources you have to go to. So I think it's incredibly rude for someone to shop a lender because once they shop, you start 
doing this process where you're calling 20 to 30 different people on their behalf. And, and it's not just the amount of paperwork that you have to go through to actually get the appropriate quote. It's the amount of work that we have to do on the uh, ECOA, for example. They, they make us put out these disclosures every time. If I give you a quote, I have to give you a disclosure. So, yeah, it's a lot more difficult. Uh, there was a mortgage bankers association. They do this uh, rating on how difficult it is to get a mortgage. And an index is at 101 approximately. They uh, they estimated that back in 2006, 2007, at the peak of the real estate market back then, uh, it would have been at 800. So that's how much harder it's gotten. Higher number being easier. And it's only it's it's going down. So we're going to see a lot more difficult guidelines come up. We have lenders that are implementing this year already some of the qualified mortgage rules that are coming up in 2014 January, which we expect to be fully implemented by then and expected for lenders to follow these rules. Um, but yeah, during the 2013 shutdown, it was it was it it made it even more difficult. We had this thing called a 4506 uh, IRS transcript request. That got delayed. Um, and But Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, they said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll ease the guidelines and say, okay, just give us tax returns. We'll be okay with that. Um, but it did become more difficult. And this is just the theme that we're going to see throughout. 2014 and beyond, it's pretty. They're similar standards to what they were before 2000. The 2000s was a different era, Rob. It was a very strange era. We're let going back to the norm. Let me put that in perspective. 2000s, you can get $600,000 by basically initialing two pieces of paper. Liar loans. At that point in time, the lender would say, "Okay, I'm going to go start filling out numbers." You know how they did liar loans, right? No, tell me. Um, so you give them your type of work, and they would go to this website, and it would have this graph that says if you've been in it this long, you get paid this much, and then it goes like that, and they pick the highest number, and they use that as your income. Okay. So stated income loan. Was it ever so egregious? Like liar loans were good for like football players who they don't care; they just want to get the money. Um, did you ever get things like people like me saying, "Yeah, Tony, I I, I pitch for the, the San Francisco Giants"? Did you ever get liars like that? Or was it more no, in, it, inflationary what, what on you, your end? What you typically saw, and this is where subprime really came into a um, – dug people into a hole, was they would literally make up jobs for people. Did I show you the email I got the other day from – it was a business card that, that people are still handing out. It says, we will make up a W-2 for you and verify the job. So it was essentially like that. They were, make, they were making up jobs. They were just doing what they call ver- uh, verbal verifications. So you could give – the lender a phone number for your buddy, they would call that, and the guy would go, oh, yeah, this guy does a lawn care for me. He's doing it for three years. Boom. There's your income. Yeah. Um, and those are liar loans. Those were stated income loans, and it was very, very, very skeptical. I mean, it, it, just, it, it just made so many more people qualify for home loans. It drove home prices up. It was the first thing that I saw when I came to California is that why would, why would people get teaser? Not only that, you could get teaser loans that start 1%, NEGAM loans, and you could go up to 100% financing. It was crazy. Okay, so how do you prepare somebody? Because I freak out every time I do a loan. Um, I whenever I buy a house, I pay someone to sign for me. Like I, I yeah, you know, I, I give them credit because I don't like going through all that paperwork. Quite honestly, it's the toughest part of my job is to is to hide people from the the red tape that they have to go through. It's becoming harder and harder and harder. Now I know I want to say that I'm the best. I get loans done. You know, right. everybody's heard my commercial, but it's you know. It, I get loans I get, done. I get loans done. Uh, you know, and that's getting hard. It's actually, it's I get loans done, but it's harder to keep people from seeing, like, the lender asking for multiple types of transactions. You know, deposits now. If you have a deposit at an ATM, they want that check. Oh, I know. That happened to me. They want that check. Um, I deposit large amounts, if, and when I was doing a refi, they're like, why were you depositing $6,000? 
Um, and I had to go, like, I, I don't remember. And that came up with Dodd-Frank. There's a lot okay. of um, anti-money uh, laundering rules that came up as well, and that, that is now forcing lenders to look at things like that. So the overregulation that we had as a result from the, um, the real estate crash is really making it tough on people now. So be prepared. If you do a refi, if you buy a home, it's going to take some time. Know that the lender is working their butts off for you. I get calls from Tony on occasion where he's just frustrated that a loan's not getting funded yet because he needs one more thing. So it's going to be it's a freaky experience for me, for you, for everyone. That's Tony Mendez. You can find him online at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Again, anything you ever want to talk about, we could talk about. Don't be shy. Um, investing is intimidating. Buying a house is intimidating. It doesn't really need to be. Um, financial planning, one thing you don't want to do is not ask questions and then suddenly turn, you know, 60 years old and not have a plan. That would be the wrong time to be at that point in time trying to fix things. Um, I do know people that sometimes I'll tell them your goal is to work as long as you can because you didn't save enough. Um, that's a plan, and that's not the worst thing in the world. It may sound like I'm heartless, but keeping money from going out the door and keeping money coming in the door, it's, it's better than, you know, uh, cutting your job and suddenly finding that you got, you know, no plan and you don't like poverty, because that's, that's what's going to happen. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy, 800-516-1220. month of July closes out. The Dow, the S&P turned negative on the final day. Is this a case of one month becomes two months becomes three months becomes a trend? Overall, weak U.S. data contributed to the bearish tone. Jobless claims rose more than expected in the latest week. Eh, not so bad. Chicago Purchasing Managers Index unexpectedly fell to its lowest levels since 2013 in June. It's not that long ago. Stocks slumped yesterday. The Fed Reserve basically said, look, we see the pickup in the economy, but we're not going to do anything about it yet. We're kind of eyeballing inflation. Russia and Moscow fought back over new U.S. and EU sanctions that has been imposed over the conflict with Ukraine, announcing a ban on most fruit and vegetable imports from Poland. Argentina defaulted for the second time in 12 years. Investors had hoped for a mild... Uh, last-second, midnight kind of deal. 
plant valve through, even a short default will raise companies' borrowing costs, add to pressures on the peso, drain dwindling foreign reserves, and fuel one of the largest, highest inflation rates in the world. So it wasn't terribly unexpected, but it's still a headline out there. So Exxon component, I'm sorry, Dow component, Exxon Mobil, uh, posted second quarter earnings that beat expectations, but stock fell. Whole food markets cut its 2014 forecast for a fourth time. Those shares are down on that news. Let's pull up a chart on whole food markets. Ticker symbol is WFM. And the joke often is that whole foods cost a whole paycheck. Now, taking a look at a one-year chart, it's at a one-year low. It's gone from about 58 down to 38. Taking a look at a two-year chart and a five-year chart is kind of important in large part because uh, you can kind of see where the recession hit them and how the recovery happened. There seems to be some technical support right around 38, which is currently where it's at. So you don't want to see it violate much lower than that. On a five-year basis, you can take a look at Whole Foods and see that it's gone from a buck, $13 five years ago, to $38. Not a bad rate of return. Pretty good in my book. But the stock does seem to get ahead of itself at times. Lowering their forecast for a fourth time for the year, hopefully they can start beating those expectations. But it does trade at 25 times earnings. Like I said, Whole Foods costs a whole paycheck. It's traded at 20 times next year's earnings. Not cheap. You could instantly punch in a stock right next to it, like Apple. And it trades at 16 times this year's earnings, but it's trading at 12 times, 13 times next year's earnings. You know, which one do you want? Investing isn't, in my opinion, about being right. It certainly helps. I think it's about comparing and understanding risks. Um, Yelp and Twitter. Um, what's happening there? Yelp reported its first profit ever. And that's worthy of note because it's one of those companies that's been around for a while. You know the product. It's got a $4.8 billion market cap. Uh, the profit that it reported wasn't big enough to really excite people. And, you know, you're talking about $2.5 million profit. Again, $4 billion company. How long is it going to take to get your money back? So Yelp was bid up 10%, though, yesterday. So their fall today, a little bit of a mass desire to not get left behind was there yesterday in case there was a Twitter-esque rabbit-out-of-the-hat pull. Um, just throwing it out there. Um, Tesla, LinkedIn and Tesla both report tonight. It's hard to know what, if anything, might be appropriate as far as hedging strategies. Options market thinks they're going to move 7 to 8% at minimum after the call. So uh, throwing it out there for you. If you want to pay attention, you're more than welcome to. To get your calls in there, you can always call 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. You don't have to call, though. You can drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. I'd love to hear from you. Some other stories of note today. In my world, Americans are borrowing less to pay for college. But that's not quite means the college costs just stopped going up. It just means parents are putting more cash up front. MasterCard profit rose 10% as the card usage grows. World's second largest debit and credit card company. Boasted a better than expected 10% 
rise in quarterly profit. I like both MasterCard and Visa, as well as American Express, as well as Capital One Financial. For informational purposes only, consult a broker or advisor before taking action on any stocks mentioned. Uh, other stories of note, ExxonMobil had a really nice jump in profit, but the amount of reserves that they found, to, you know, or the amount of oil they found to refill the reserves was less than expected as well. Snapchat's looking at a $10 billion valuation with Alibaba. Um, U.S. job cuts soar thanks to tech companies like Microsoft as well as Hewlett-Packard. That will be something that we look very, very closely at on Friday, Friday morning. The Fed was unswayed by growth yesterday. Um, so when they released their conversation, uh, they voted to cut its monthly bond buying program by another $10 billion. It left its short-term interest rate near zero, zero and expressed only tepid encouragement about growth. So Apple's laying off about 200 people at Beats. It doesn't take long for a company to you know, try to cut some uh, of the costs mostly in human resources, finance, and other departments. Bank of America ordered to pay $1.2 billion in a hustle fraud. Always interesting. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. You can drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. Take care. Have a good day. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.